Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Come on, could you have the party start? Hear that music? From South Bend, Indiana. That's in America. It's sports yet. This is Jimmy Shorts. Thank you, Studio DNA Podcast Network. And here's your host, Corey Mann. And Indiana Broadcast Hall of Famer, Chuck Freebie. That's good. Now turn it off. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Sports Yak welcomes Mark Martell and the Ultimate Queen celebration to the Silver Creek Event Center at Four Winds in New Buffalo, Michigan, Saturday night, September 7th. Chuck and Corey are big Queen fans and even bigger Mark Martell fans. So let's put you in the audience that night. Win two tickets to the show. Simply drop us an email at the sports yak with two K's at gmail.com. In the subject line, put Queen. Enter as often as you'd like. No purchase necessary. Winner announced Friday, August 30th. Mark Martell's vocals will blow your mind. We are the champions, my and all your favorite Queen songs performed to perfection. Activate your name today with an email to the Sports Yak. Sports Yak with two K's at gmail.com. Episode 125. That would be the Drew Brees episode. That's how many games he has won as quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. I prank called him in uh, college. Really? Yep, it was back in the U93 days, and uh, just stupid morning show humor, and uh, got his phone number, got him on the phone, and um, if I remember correctly, the prank call was, we we had kidnapped Purdue Pete. Oh, no. And if you want him back, you will uh, play a lesser game this weekend <laughs> against Notre Dame, and he kind of went along with it, but it was it was silly and stupid, so... He's a good guy, though. He's a great dude. You know, off the field, he just oh, does a heads. lot of great stuff down in New Orleans. And, you know, when they had the hurricane down there, he has been active in the rebuilding effort of that city. Didn't he uh, Didn't he send a jersey to uh, Zion? Uh, welcome to... Well, yeah, because Zion became a member of the Pelicans. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I missed you, my friend. I'm glad you had vacation, but... Oh, boy. You, you, how do I say this? This show without you is a turd wrapped in <laughs> oh, burnt no. hair on. lit Come on fire. Now, I heard the interview with the San Diego chicken. That was terrific. I appreciate that. Had to do like, I wanted to do just something quick on Wednesday. So I did like a top five baseball movies because I watched Moneyball recently mm-hmm. and uh, Bad News Bears again. The amazing Amanda Wurlitzer with that breaking curveball at two and a half feet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
butter maker. Oh, such good stuff. And then, of course, we have got these two contests that we're trying to uh, get you uh, yaksters all a part of, and the emails are starting to come in. Good. Glad so, to hear that. So there you go. I have two questions for you. Fire away. Number one, what did you think of the preseason NFL activity last night? I didn't watch a second of it. No. I was glued to the Cubs game, and so I did not watch any of the Bears, the Colts, or the Lions. So let me review for you what I've gleaned from other sources uh, this morning. Okay. Uh, for the Bears, I think they're their kicking competition uh, is still intriguing for people. I don't put a whole lot of stock into first preseason games anyway. Um, they lost 23-13 last night to Carolina. Elijah Holyfield, the son of Evander, the rookie out of Georgia, had a good game for the Carolina Panthers with a couple of touchdowns. Bears had the lead at halftime, and, and really the first half is the one you kind of pay attention to in the first preseason game because that's the one that if you're going to see anybody who's likely to stick, you're going to see him in the first half okay. more than more often than not. Uh, the, uh, the rookie David Montgomery ran well for the Bears, scored a touchdown, so that was a good sign. For the Colts... I think the most disappointing thing for them is they only had 16 rushing yards in the first half. And we've heard a lot about that Colts offensive line. And, of course, fans up here know about Quentin Nelson being on that offensive line. And I know Frank Reich uh, was not happy with the way his offense played in the first half. Now, they played without Andrew Luck. Uh, Jacoby Brissett was only in there for about five passes. So they're playing with some backup skill people. But as Frank Reich said, that shouldn't matter. We still have the the number one offensive line unit out there, and they didn't gel for whatever reason against Buffalo last night. So the Bills win that one, twenty four to sixteen, and then New England absolutely routes the Lions, thirty one three. And the Patriots were playing without Tom Brady. Didn't matter. Um, I'm not sure how much the Lions uh, put Matthew Stafford out there or any of their big guns either. So the preseason games, especially the first couple, are the chance for guys trying to make the team to showcase themselves. The but you're that, not going to see a lot of the Trubiskys and people like that. The one, the highlight that popped up on my Twitter feed the most this morning was this uh, Browns guy who was sleeping at a 24-hour gymnasium workout facility trying to convince the powers that be to let me try out and... He actually ran a ball back last night. For a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. I, I I caught the video of that. I haven't had time to, to dive into the story, so I can't tell you a whole lot about that. Uh, but certainly looked intriguing, and I noticed when I looked at the video this morning at about 5.30 in the morning, it already had 2 million views. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of people are intrigued by that. But great for guys like that, and, and hopefully they can – they can make an impact. I know Drew Tranquil had an interception last night for the Los Angeles Chargers in their preseason game. Hopefully that's a good sign for him in making the team. Equinemius St. Brown scored a touchdown for the Packers last night on special teams, falling on the ball in the end zone. Good for him. Uh, bad news for an IU alum, Nate Sudfield, left the game for the Eagles, I believe, uh, with a wrist injury. He had an air cast on it, so hard to say how long he's going to be out. Um, that's kind of the local update 
on what happened in the NFL preseason last night? Uh, there was a similar story, but it was in baseball earlier this week. Did you see while you were on vacation the guy throwing for the Oakland A's 95, 96 miles an hour? At the at the speed zone. At the speed zone. Yeah, and the A's signed it. <laughs> Why not? Because how many people throw 95, 96? He must have had some kind of control on the ball as well. Reminds me of the story of the, the movie The Rookie. Yes. Yeah, where the coach just goes for a tryout and he's throwing 98. I think we'll sign you. Yes. And the next thing you know, he winds up in the big leagues. That was in my top five list. You can catch that on the previous episode, 124. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Notre Dame football down in Culver, Indiana. Uh, your cohort, Bob Nagel, was saying how quiet it has been this week. Not so quiet last night, this morning. No, Cole Komet battling Troy Pride Jr. for a, a jump ball in the end zone. He goes up and he makes the snare, but he lands very hard on his shoulder and winds up breaking his collarbone. So the Irish tight end Komet out for three to six weeks, which uh, if you look at the calendar right now, that takes you right on up to the Georgia game. And I don't know if you want that to be his first game back or not. It depends how healthy he is. But Brock Wright now steps into the starting tight end position, and he answered the bell well in practice. Komet's injury happened fairly early in practice on Thursday, and Wright was able to snare a couple of touchdowns in goal line situations. You may remember he had his first touchdown catch against Wake Forest last year for the Irish. Bright, strong as uh, an ox player, so Brock Wright inherits the number one tight end position now, and number two goes to Tommy Tremble. A lot of people thought Tremble in spring had a very good camp and and made a lot of strides uh, towards getting on the field. Well, now he's likely to be on the field because Chip Long likes to use a lot of double tight end sets. So look for Wright and Tremble to be the top two guys to take the field at tight end for the Irish as the season begins. Hey, yeah, what the Brock is cooking. Okay. I had to get that out of my system. All right. Here was the second question I wanted to ask you. How are you feeling about the new Cubs players and what they've been uh, giving to the team the last couple of nights? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because last night I mentioned on the Twitter machine, and if you don't follow me at 46 Sports on Twitter, well, you're a darn fool. But anyway. Was that a darn fool? Darn fool. Thanks. Uh I mentioned last night on Twitter that the Cubs had three new players in the lineup from the last time they went to Cincinnati. And as you may recall, they have struggled with the Reds this year, particularly at the Great American Ballpark. So last Great night... Great American Empty Ballpark. It was last night. Well, they had threat of rain in the area, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Nicholas Castellanos, Ian Happ, and Jonathan Lucroy all got starts last night. They were not on the Cubs roster the last time the Cubs went to GABP. Mm -hmm. Seven RBI between the three of them. Castellanos has been a huge offensive spark. People knew this guy could hit. And he had complained about Comerica Park, and I think with good reason, because the dimensions there are not built to his game. The dimensions of Wrigley Field and of Cincinnati are certainly built to his game, and he cranked two home runs last night. Then you've got Hap, who toiled in the minor leagues all year, working on his swing, trying to improve his swing, trying to improve his offensive game. Well, it seems to have worked. 
He had a grand slam against Oakland on Wednesday, followed with a homer and a two-run single last night. So he's hot right now. And then LaCroix, who the Cubs just got because Wilson Contreras went on the IL with that pulled hamstring. They had Victor Caratini. They aren't convinced that Taylor Davis is the guy for down the stretch with a pennant race. LaCroix's got a huge history as a catcher in Major League Baseball, and he's had a lot of experience with guys on the Cubs staff. He comes in last night and gets a couple of RBI as well, and the Cubs beat the Reds by a count of 12-5. to So now they've got a three-and-a-half game lead over Milwaukee and four over the Cardinals in the National League Central. So, so I like the moves that like Theo Epstein made. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about this this morning while driving in. I think, and and you have reason to be critical of Theo Epstein in the offseason and really up until about the month of July, mm-hmm. but I think the moves that he has made in the month of July and now early August have been really great moves and will be the difference in this pennant race. And when you said that uh, What's-His-Face brought a spark, it feels like some of the other players elevated their game last night as well. Well, Joe Madden said that Castellanos reminded the team of what it's like to be hungry. Remember, Nicholas Castellanos has never played in a pennant race before. He's been with the Tigers his whole career. Yeah. So now all of a sudden he comes to the Cubs and says, I have an opportunity to be on a winner, and I want to contribute. Yeah. And contribute he has done. And I think he's shown with his aggressive style of play and his hustle, he's kind of awakened some of the people that were just kind of sleepwalking through the season. Yes. And then last night, okay, the Cubs embark on this road trip. And we have talked about this constantly on the yak throughout the season, how much this team has struggled on the road this year. So they hung up the white jerseys in the locker room. To make They wanted to make it feel like a home game, even though they didn't wear those white jerseys during the game. They wanted to try to give the feeling of a home game as much as possible. And, and Rizzo and a bunch of the guys just said, let's just approach this like it is a home game. Play with that aggressiveness that we were playing with during the homestand. Play with that echoing of the cheering of the crowd in our head. Mm-hmm. and just go out there and have fun, and they got 19 hits last night. What do you think about Kemp a few nights previous? What do you think about him? Tony Kemp? Yeah. Uh, Refer to a few nights previous. I'm not sure exactly what you're driving at. Isn't he, wasn't he new? Isn't he new to the He's lineup? one of the new guys, yeah, and uh, he's, he's... He just seemed to have a little bit of energy in his uh, back pocket. Yeah, no, he plays with he plays with a hunger as well. I think for in his sake, it's not like Castellanos, where I've never played on a winner, for Tony Kemp, it's I finally get a chance to play. Okay. Because he was behind Jose Altuve the whole time. The problem for Tony Kemp right now is Ian Happ is so hot that Joe Madden is going to be trotting him out to second base as many opportunities as he can right now. Okay. Let's stay in uh, Cubs world, South Bend. Uh, they're in uh, Lansing tonight, I think. Yes, they won last night by a count of eight to four. They have a three-game lead over Lansing in the wild card race in the Midwest League, and they're only two behind Bowling Green for first place. So they're they're certainly in the hunt for a playoff berth. And Buddy Bailey continues to move up the list of minor league managers in all-time wins. He now has 2,129 in his career. That puts him sixth all-time. Now, there's a 
there's a little bit of distance between him and the fifth-place guy, so he's not going to move up any higher on the charts this season. But one of the things that Joe Hart told us earlier in the year on the Yak is that Buddy Bailey is known for developing his players, and you're seeing that with this South Bend team. They are playing better here in August than they were back in April and May. Now, they just did have Braylon Marquez move up from South Bend to Myrtle Beach, and DJ Artist did the same uh, about a week or so ago. So we're seeing some movement among the players, but that's common at the minor league level. The other thing, as long as we're talking minor league Cubs, is Ben Zobris got his first home run in the minors last night down at Myrtle Beach. The Pelicans. So he continues to show signs of shaking off the rust, and, and maybe he'll be able to be added to the major league roster uh, by the time August 31st rolls around. That's full, the goal. Full weekend in South Bend. He's in Myrtle Beach now. He's in Myrtle Beach this weekend. If that goes well, what's next? I would imagine they would keep moving him up the system. So double A is West Tennessee, and then triple A is Iowa. Iowa, and then uh, hopefully an invite back to the uh, the friendly confines. Exactly. Okay. How was your Ben Zobrist experience? Have you talked about that? I did not. No, I did not. So um, you went to see him fri- play Friday at night. Four wins. Yeah. Friday night, um, we got there probably about an hour before uh, first pitch, and he came out of the dugout at about 10 to 7, started warming up, got out there with a few players, and uh, the last time there was a Cub there, Jason Hayward, I knew where my son stood, and I said, why don't you kind of stand and hang around in that location? He had a buddy with him. And then when Ben was done warming up, he walked over to the dugout, put his glove in the dugout, looked up to the security guard and said, where do you want me? So he was right next to the stairs where mm-hmm. McGill usually is doing his little work. Yeah. Oh, well, if you want to call it that, sure. Yeah. And uh, Ben went to work on baseballs and autographs and photos. Um, I saw a lot of smiling. I saw a lot of thank yous. Uh, Caleb and, my, and his buddy Leo got their autograph balls. Then Saturday night, I think he went 0 for 4 on Friday, by yes, the way. Yes, he did. Saturday, he bought the team McDonald's, which was awesome, seeing the old minivan pull up with a, with a trunk full of that stuff. Sunday, he sat down at the autograph table with the players, which I thought was super cool, and uh, signed a bunch of autographs as well, and everybody loved the experience. And it sounds like the same thing is going on in Myrtle Beach, too, but I was very impressed with how many people I saw uh, on face, my Facebook feed, my Twitter feed, uh, with their pictures with Zobrist or holding up an autograph ball. I, I think he's the genuine article. I just, I wonder, did he do any interviews while he was here? No, we had Joe on Friday morning, kind of last minute, and right. he said Chicago called and said nobody talks to him. Okay. And I don't think I saw anything over the weekend, no kind of sound clip or anything. So uh, I think, that, I mean, they showed him playing, but they didn't talk to him at all. Right. At so. some point, obviously. Yeah. There's going to have to be an interview. and The and last time he tweeted or was on Instagram was May 6th. Hmm. And I think May 8th was when uh, yeah. he was done. His wife, May 6th was her last day on Instagram. And May 24th, she took a picture of her and the kids and posted it. But that's the last thing she said as well. So not heard a word on, you know, what has happened. I don't know that I care, but I I told myself on the way to the game, if I get two seconds with him, I'm going to say, A, it's great seeing you back on the field. 
and B, you're one of the first athletes I think I've ever thought, I'm going to pray for this guy and his family. Because that's a mess. Oh, yeah. Divorce is Cle- not. And clearly it took its toll on him because, oh. I mean, obviously there are people in all walks of life mm-hmm. that go through things. But to be in the public sphere as much as he and his wife have been mm-hmm. uh, and to basically say, I need to step away from this for three months, that's yeah, that's tough. And kudos to the Cubs for being an understanding organization about this. Agreed. High school football right around the corner, my man. Next, fri- next Friday scrimmages. Oh, wow. Two weeks. Do you do any scrimmage uh, broadcasts? Not a broadcast. I will go attend scrimmages. Okay. I will try to get to both Elkhart Central and Elkhart Memorial, but we might break it up uh, just so that I can see them in action one time before we uh, we hit the broadcast on August 23rd. I've asked you this multiple times. I can't quite remember what your answer is, so I'll ask you now. Usually I ask you when we're in the other room, are you adding anything new or different to your repertoire of covering high school sports this season? Are you doing anything different that you look back on from the past season? You're like, I'm, I'm going to make some adjustments here, or I'm going to add this or subtract this. I don't think necessarily from the past season. Uh, I know one thing that we did last year that we just started doing was streaming the ga- games live on Facebook. And I probably watched six. And we'll yeah. we'll be doing that again. That's the plan is to stream them live on Facebook. So... I've already heard from people, you know, my son's in the Army or something like that. He'd love to watch the Elkhart Central, Elkhart Memorial game since it's the last one. Well, he'll have the opportunity to do that. Occasionally, we run into restrictions because the schools have the right to say no, and some of them exercise that for a variety of reasons, whatever the case. Um, And I try to haggle with them, but, you know, it's ultimately their call. It's on their end. So... Uh, there might be one that doesn't make it on there, but the rest will. And you had released the schedule, I believe, this week. Uh, it's been released for some time, but oh, okay. uh, while I was on vacation, somebody made the decision to put it on the 46 Sports Facebook page mm-hmm. and uh, cause uproar. <laughs> oh, maybe that's for another episode? Uh, maybe, maybe, we, a, maybe a bonus episode. Yeah, who knows? All right. Uh, we've covered everything. I feel pretty awesome. Let's see, what is going on in pop culture right now? We've got a concert tonight at the Mm -hmm. Morris with our radio station, Amy Grant, coming into town along with a group called I Am They Mm -hmm. and a young man named Nathan Sheridan who's performing on the plaza. But uh, anything you're looking forward to this weekend from pop culture? There's no real great movie coming out that uh, I'm dying to see. Uh, October is Ace Comic Con. It'll be in its second year in Chicago. Okay. It was at Navy Pier. This past year, they've moved out to Rosemont's Convention Center. My son and I will be meeting Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man. All right. That's going to be used as his, if you finish cross-country, I'm taking you to meet Spider-Man. There and you go. And he has agreed that that would be awesome. And the bonus thing that I haven't told him, and I'll tell you this because he doesn't listen, but the guy who played Elton John in Rocket Man's going to be there. Oh, so I want to get his scribble on the movie poster. 
Speaking of Chicago, yes. where that Comic-Con will be, uh, why don't you go ahead and set up our guest on the phone? Well, Chuck, I told you about uh, this Wrigley Field tour I went on a couple of weeks ago, and it was so much more than I had expected. Fell in love with the park all over again and loved the tour guide and uh, basically kind of uh, mobbed him at the end, asked for his uh, phone number to see if we could get him on the sports yak, and lo and behold, we got him right here. So tour guide Ron... Baseball historian, I understand, Ron. What prompted your interest in baseball history? Oh my goodness! It, it um, you know, I think it all starts with being a kid growing up in in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I had uh, uh, as a little boy, I had the great pleasure of growing up with the Big Red Machine. Um, around 1970, when the Reds um, became the Reds we all know in the 70s, you know, I was. You know, 11 years old, kind of the prime of my interest. And I'd always played um, Cincinnati's version of Little League Nazzle. And, um, boy, you could pick any one of those players during during that era and follow follow that player. It was your favorite player. And that's where my passion began. And who was your favorite player on that Big Red Machine team? Uh, I have to say Pete Rose. Okay. Um, the, uh, I remember... Um, always wanting to get number 14 when they gave out those jerseys to the, you know, at the beginning of the season. And, but, you know, you had Bench and it's number five and Morgan, number eight, Perez, number 24. Those were all the prize choices. I love the notes you sent me, Ron, and I can picture a 10-year-old doing this, but you were a pretty uh, avid fan and you had some thoughts of your own and you put, uh, you put pencil to paper and wrote a letter, didn't you? Oh, yes. It's one of my favorite uh, stories from being a baseball nut when I was a kid. Um, I, uh, I was following the Reds in the, in the 1969 season, and they were, they were, they were a powerhouse offensively, uh, but they just had, couldn't get over the top. And they fired their manager, Dave Bristol, at the end of the season. And um, that really frustrated me because I liked Dave Bristol a lot. So I wrote a letter to the general manager of the Reds at that time, Bob Housem, and, um, and said, you know, uh, I just, I was disappointed in the firing. And um, lo and behold, Mr. Housem sent me a letter back shortly thereafter, thanking me for my interest and my passion, but also noting that uh, I might like this um, third base coach from the San Diego Padres. They just hired a guy named George Anderson, Sparky Anderson. And I did like him. I think he's my favorite manager of all time. Oh, the main spark, as he was known. And what a terrific career he had with the Reds and, of course, then the Tigers. Uh, for some of our fans locally, they'll remember those 84 Tiger teams, too. Uh, how did the connection with the Cubs start? Because I, I know you were a lifelong Reds fan and even kept that up while living in St. Louis. So where did the Cubs connection come in? Well, it came actually early on. Um, I, I um, attended college um, at Northwestern here in Chicago, and um, you know, part of the part of the college experience was uh, going down to the bleachers at Wrigley Field. And um, of course, many of those games I uh, I went to I was there to see, see my Reds play, but I also saw some other you know, great great games. I in fact I was there. That the famous 23-22 game between the Phillies and the Cubs back in, um, I think it was May of 1979. Yeah. Uh, I was in the bleachers for that game. 
I saw the Mike Smith home runs and uh, the the incredible um, windblown home runs during that game. So that's where my passion began. And the Cubs are always a favorite. I mean, everybody's story when I when I do these tours um, is that uh, often that passion with the Cubs started with WGN TV. Um, you know, one of the first cable TV um, uh, stations, along with TBS in Atlanta, where they both the Braves and the Cubs became um, national followed teams, and um, and certainly the Cubs were, were were near to dear in my heart. I could see them play most every most every day, which was uncommon back in those days. So, um, my passion was early on. I love that. Um... You know, you've got some daughters, and Ron, you uh, in your notes that you sent me, you, you would take them on these Midwest trips to see the ballparks. Uh, and, um, you know, thinking back to that little tour I took just a couple of weeks ago, I'm a little upset that I didn't bring my 12-year-old. I got home and told him all about it, so i got to make that up to him here before the season's over. But uh, you had a good time doing that with your three daughters, is that right? Right. It's a, it's a wonderful experience. My daughters are oh, each five years apart, and I have three of them, and... Um, so when they're around 10, um, I would I would plan a trip. It was, all, it was always kind of a difficult trip to plan because you wanted to land in a different ballpark, you know, every day. So, you you know, you're subject to the scheduling. And so we would go to anywhere from Class A games to uh, Major League games during a week span. Um, and just a big driving trip. Uh, it was just wonderful. It's most, you know, dad-daughter experience. And we'd go to these minor league parks and, and more often than not, we'd be able to snag a, a foul ball or a player would give us a ball. They'd always come back with a souvenir. And um, But we also saw, you know, the Reds play and the Cubs play and the White Sox play, um, Kansas City Royals, um, you know, you know, the major league teams in the Midwest. It was a great experience and something they all shared. In fact, um, for each one of them, I made a um, baseball memory book, um, kind of a, a story of each of, of, of the trip from the moment we left to the, to the time we got back, and, and they cherish those. So clearly you're into baseball. How does one become a tour guide at Wrigley Field? Well, it's um, it's a process. Uh, there's applications um, that you, you make um, in the early part of the year. I happen to see um, in in March of 2018, um, they were looking for some guides, and I just, you know, put my put my um, application in, and and loved having that interview, and and um, you know, be able to kind of share um, my baseball knowledge um, um, with the head of the kind of the, the tour guides, and um, it was a, it was an instant match. I uh, it, was, it was funny because of all the jobs that I. I, I've ever had um, getting the news that I was being hired as a tour guide kind of ranked right at the top of them, <laughs> and uh, and that was fun. I, uh, I I was just curious if you could take us inside that uh, the interview process, Ron. Did you already know all the stuff that you rattle off during that tour, or did you kind of have to go to Cub School and and fill in the blanks, or you know how how much did you already know? Well, it's a combination of things. Um, these, our tours actually um, have a long history. It goes back at least 20 years. Um, we have a great historian, a guy named Brian Bernadoni, and um, he actually put together the notes, um, and they're quite extensive, of the history 
of um, you know of the Cubs and in, in, in Wrigley Field, and so you have those, and you also have the ability to um, follow other great tour guides who have been there and see um, you know how they share their stories, and then um, you create your own. I mean, I can part of our part of our mantra is to tell the story that you believe in, you know, with the passion and energy that you have. And so everybody has a different twist. We all, we all stay to the kind of the core facts, um, obviously, but you know, you, uh, it's a 75 to 90 minute tour. I, I could, I could give you a tour for three hours with the information that I know. And, and, uh, you're trying to make it the, the best fan experience. So there is, you know, there's that background training, but a lot of it is kind of on your feet, um, you know, uh, realizing what, what fans want to hear. For example, yesterday I was giving tours, and it was August 8th. Sure. Uh, what, did, what, what did that remind you of, right? It was uh, August 8th, 1988, when the lights first came to Wrigley Field. So um, you're always wanting to make it a, a real experience for the fans. What's your favorite part of the tour? I think the history but we, we start off um, typically in the in the lower bowl and uh, give a give a little background of of the Cubs and Wrigley Field and I think um, you know putting your putting yourself in the in the shoes of a fan coming into the ballpark you know they don't know what to expect sometimes they think it's just like a a walking tour around saying here's that you know here's this kind of a a tour and they're surprised I think um, about the kind of the you know, a little history lesson, 15, 20 minutes we give out at the start. And I love sharing that. I also love changing that up a little bit um, that, you know, that makes makes a lot more um, sense to, you know, whatever fans we have here. Like, you know, Oakland Athletics were just here um, this past week and doing a little little twist on Oakland. Um, for example, um, Harry Carey. Uh, you know, our legendary broadcaster, not many know that he spent one season as the announcer for the Oakland Athletics. And the fans uh, on my tours this week from Oakland, they didn't know that. So, you know, just just being able to um, share the history and um, with, with the fans at the outset, I think that's my favorite part. You got a good A-Rod story for us, Ron? Oh, my gosh. Do I have one of my favorite stories is A-Rod. Um, ESPN was, you know, or has been here several times. They can't be... Um, the Cubs have been a little bit of a darling of ESPN over the last couple of years, um, and um, and ESPN was here last summer, um, and um, I was I was one of those events uh, or one of those times um, I, as a tour guide. Um, we happened to see that um, A Rod was here on a bicycle along with uh, Jennifer Lopez as they were coming through um, Gallagher Way, um, which is right outside the the ballpark. And um, next thing I know it, I'm walking down the concourse and I see A-Rod uh, along with an attendant uh, of A-Rod. And I just, you know, said, hi, my name is Ron Giesecke. I'm a tour guide here and I've always wanted to meet you. And he said, well, since you're a tour guide, I want to know some, some things about Wrigley Field that um, I might not know. <laughs> so I was able to share some stories with A-Rod. It was, it was so much fun. And then um, the next day, um, which is the broadcasting day. They were here a day early. Um, A-Rod um, was um, in the upper uh, grandstand at Wrigley near the broadcasting booth, and one of our other tour guides was giving a tour, and A-Rod popped into the tour. 
and shared one of my stories. So uh, it was a really fun experience for everybody uh, at Wrigley Field. Now, my man here who co-hosts with me, Ron, uh, went on a tour with you recently, and you may recall that he uh, he sang Take Me Out to the Ball Game from the <laughs> broadcast booth. You don't have to you don't have to pull any punches on this show, Ron, because we never do. Give me an evaluation of that performance. Well, I've seen it. I know I see it in person, but I've actually seen it. Um, uh, it, it was sent to me, and that's that's what I call passion. Um, <laughs> the uh, you know we we have some passionate fans, and uh, Corey um, asked me while we were in the in the visitors um, clubhouse if he'd be able to lead um, the tour group. I, mean, I think there was 50 to 55 of us on that, on that tour, if he would be able to lead the um, um, group and take me out to the ball game. And, you know, sometimes that's kind of a risk, but, um, but uh, I, I handed it over to Corey at the end of my little spiel at, um, in the uh, press box, and he did a tremendous job, much better job than some of the folks that we, we've, uh, we've had in the past, you know, some of the, uh, some of the fun stories we talk of those who um, didn't know the words. And <laughs> yes. Considering the Ozzy Osbourne or Mike Ditka uh, selections. Yes. He was better than that. And almost as good as my favorite um, rendition during the 2019 season. I tell everybody that, th- that Sesame Street's cookie monster was here about three weeks ago and he was he was tremendous and uh, and he of course he ended taking me out to the ball game with uh, let's get some cookies and let's get some runs so um uh, so Corey maybe is in second place during the 2019 season second place ain't bad no ain't bad at all <laughs> uh ron before we wrap things up talk about your blog talk about your website oh that's very very kind of you to ask um so I had this idea. I've always wanted to um, write about baseball because I'm so passionate about it. And I decided that um, I would create this baseball blog, and it's called BaseballBenchCoach.com. And the thrust of it is that, um, you know, knowing a lot about the ins and outs of, of baseball, I wanted to take things that happened during a week or during the season and expand on it a little bit. And um, so the bench coach, as, as you well know in baseball, is that right-hand guy of the manager, the one that says, you know what, here's, here's a couple options, and, um, and then the manager will, will make the decision. And so my, my, my um, website, um, baseballbenchcoach.com, does just that in terms of these posts. I do it every Monday morning. If you become a subscriber, you will get it in your email at 7 a.m., and I take a current event, I talk about that, and I also give the history behind that um, particular topic. And I also try and add a little um, my own flavor to it in terms of how it, um, how it impacted um, my life. And, you know, and I talk about some, some things that um, happened when I played baseball or when um, I was growing up being a baseball dad. Um, that kind of thing. For example, Father's Day. Um, I did a um, I did a bit on baseball dads, and um, I, I mentioned earlier in our call about um, you know some of these trips that I would take with my daughters. Well, um, when Ken Griffey Jr. hit his um, 
uh, 500th career home run in St. Louis. He was, you know, playing for the Reds at the time, and I was living in St. Louis. I had two of my daughters with me, and um, and they couldn't believe it, seeing their dad with tears in his eyes as as Junior hit the home run, and he came to the um, um, third base side uh, um, to the to the Reds dugout at Bush Stadium and embraced his dad. It was one of the coolest moments. So I talked about, you know, baseball dads, the Griffies, and um, on and on. Um, you know, uh, the, the Boone family. Um, you know, now, um, you know, Aaron now being the, the manager of the New York Yankees. All those kinds of things. So the blog is my ability to kind of take baseball and maybe create a, a larger audience about it. I think baseball needs that. Um, the fans that they want to touch a history, but they also want the human aspect of it. So I think baseballbenchcoach.com, if you have the inclination to just take another shot at a, at a baseball blog, I encourage you to do so and be a subscriber. Baseballbenchcoach.com. Maybe you can send Ron an email and say, hey, we heard you on Sports Yak. You were phenomenal, exclamation point. How about that? And by the way, Ron, one thing before you go. You remember your guy, Dave Bristol, who you vehemently defended as the 10-year-old. Did you know that he was the manager that was replaced by Ted Turner for one game with the Atlanta Braves? I actually did not know that. That's a very interesting story. um, I'd love to. I'm going to explore that a little bit. So what was the circumstance? Well, uh, the Braves were in, mired in a 16-game losing streak in 1977 with Davey Bristol as the manager, and Turner got sick of it, so he sent Bristol on a 10-day scouting trip and tried to take over as the manager of the team. That lasted oh. one game. Okay. Chubb Feeney was the president of the National League and said, that's enough of that nonsense. <laughs> but because Turner was serious about sending Bristol on the scouting trip, uh, they had a interim manager named Vern Benson, who I think was the Braves' third base coach at the time. And he took over, and then Bristol was brought back to finish out what was at the time the worst season uh, in Braves history. They were 61-101 and 101 that year, and Davey got fired at the end of the year. Okay, that, that does that does ring a, a memory to me. You know, I'm, I'm going to do a um, blog coming up on great managers. And I got a few on my list that you might that might surprise you. Um, Gene Malk. Um, oh yeah, he was a tremendous manager, uh, mostly for the Phillies, um, but a great strategist. And then you know when you look at today's baseball, um, you know I I sometimes worry about today's baseball because you know half of the actual outcomes during that bat are either a walk, a strikeout, or a home run. Um, but when you think about today's era and you go back about 50 years or so, you've got to think of the name Earl Weaver. That was kind of Earl Weaver baseball, right? Absolutely. Playing for the long ball. Um, so I'm going to do a blog on managers and, um, and, and try and figure out who I think are, are maybe, you know, in like top five or top ten list. Look forward to it. Baseballbenchcoach.com. Uh, his name's Ron. You can only be so lucky if you get him as a tour guide for the Wrigley Tours. Uh, they do those on game days, and they do them uh, obviously off off game days. It was pretty simple, Chuck. I got on the website. I picked a time to go and walked in there, and Ron welcomed me with open arms, and, and we took a 90-minute walk. So hopefully uh, fans can do that as well. And now he regrets it the rest of his life. He will. He will. <laughs> he's going he's to do a blog about regrets. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, 
I, when I think of Corey, I'm going to say the word that comes to mind is passion. Passion, <laughs> yes. Ron, we'll keep your phone number. We'd love to keep in touch if that's okay. That's, that would be great. And good luck with this. I, 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 I've been taking a look at your features that, all, you, know, that, that you posted on Sports Chat. You guys do a great job. Oh, we appreciate Thanks, that. Yeah. Chuck's busy time of year is getting ready to kick in here with football, and uh, he's the king around here, so it's going to be a fun fall season. Sounds cool. Thanks, Ron. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Well, that was intriguing. I enjoyed that conversation. I was hoping you would. I I, I, I found something, uh, I don't know. He Ron was a great guy, great tour guy, didn't talk over my head, didn't talk too deep where I didn't understand what he was talking about. Which is surprising since he was an attorney at one time in his life. 35 years yeah. of practicing law. We didn't even touch on one that. One of these times he'll get it right. <laughs> hey, now. Hey, little We've got two contests for you to lean into. You've heard about them. All we need is an email in the subject line, either Queen or Brickyard, and we'll do those drawings at the end of this month. That'll be great. Looking forward to getting those away. Until next time, sports fans. Ooga looga, Heine Manoush fan, Lingo Mungo, you maniacs. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.